welcome to yet another episode of Game of Thrones Abridged on Alt Swift X. Today we are reading Tyrion 4, Game of Thrones. Tyrion 5, or fear, I, I forget. Uh, so Tyrion has been captured by Catelyn Stark, uh, which is an untenable place for a dwarf to be. Catelyn is convinced that Tyrion uh, ordered the assassination of her son Bran, uh, a crime for which Tyrion is innocent, but here he is being dragged off to answer for his crimes. Uh, and Tyrion is uh, is unhappy about this situation, uh, and, and it's the morning time, and Tyrion is watching the man Chigan the sellsword mercenary Chigan, uh, butcher Tyrion's horse. Because Catelyn has been driving the party very hard on her way, uh, so horses are dying and stuff. It's always the horses that lose. It, there's that quote by Jorah Mormont, um, it's about how, or maybe it's a different quote, but there's some quote about how it's always the common folk who suffer when... No, it's Varys. It's always the common folk who suffer when the High Lords play their Game of Thrones. Varys omitted the horses. When the High Lords play the Game of Thrones, it's also the horses that suffer. Uh, and so there's Chigan and there's also Bronn. Uh, Bronn is described as bone-thin and bone-hard. Uh, and they seem to be a sort of a pair, Chigan and Bronn. It would be great to know what sort of adventures they got up to before this point in the series. We really learn nothing about Bronn's backstory in the books. Um, it'd be cool to hear more. Uh, apparently, George Martin, because uh, spoilers, but what we find later is that Chigan uh, dies, I think, but Bronn survives and becomes Tyrion's sidekick. Apparently, George Martin flipped a coin uh, in order to decide between Chigan or Bronn being the person who survives to become Tyrion's, Tyrion's sidekick, which is... I'm kind of glad it went the way of Bronn, because Bronn is a fun character. Um, and so Tyrion's like, man, you're killing my horse, that sucks. Jamie, my brother Jamie gave me that horse, uh, which sort of attests to their to their lovely relationship. And he also... Uh, and Chigan's like, no, no, man, it's fine, look, this is a good horse, we'll eat the horse, it's not wasted, and Tyrion's like, I don't want to eat horse, like, what is this, Dothraki? So they're dropping references, uh, left, right, and center, uh, to remind us of the interconnected little plot lines, uh, and Chigan's like, nah, mate, it's fucking great, horse, horse, horse burger, it's good, and he, and he actually, he eats some of the horse meat raw, which, I don't know if that's sanitary, but whatever floats your boat, I guess. It's like sushi, isn't it, then? Raw meat. Can you eat horse sushi? Is that... Okay. So, uh, so Tyrion is complaining some more because, uh, his legs are really sore and his, and his whole body is really sore because he's been riding for hours and hours and eating bad food and sleeping on cold, hard ground, uh, and so Tyrion is feeling resentful rightly resentful of Catelyn Stark for inflicting this on him. Uh, Tyrion thinks, damn her and all the Starks. And, well, the Starks do seem kind of damned. Uh, 
because uh, things go badly for them soon. Uh, and anyway, so uh, Jick and Morik are Tyrion's sort of manservants who hang out with him. They're also c- sort of captives uh, on the road with Catelyn. Uh, and... And he thinks back to the moment not so long ago when he was in the inn of the crossroads and he was being arrested by Catelyn. Um, and and he's feeling a bit unhappy about how everyone turned on him so quickly. Um, and so we, we sort of have a recounting of that scene, of him being arrested from his point of view. Um, so Tyrion's making obvious decisions like not trying to fight his way out of there, given that he had three blokes and Catelyn had a bunch. Uh, and he talks about how his blokes, Jick and Morik, aren't especially good fighters or anything. Uh, Yorin, the the Night's Watch guy, is there, but he wouldn't have been much help. Uh, uh, and, and meanwhile, Masha Heddle, the proprietor of the inn, she of she of the red stained sour leaf teeth is saying, "Oh shit! Can you not? Can you please not do this here? I don't want fucking dwarf blood on my carpet, my nice carpet. Please, can you take him outside to kill him? Don't kill him here." And Tyrion Lannister says, "Don't kill him anywhere," um, uh, which is fun. Uh, and Catelyn's like, "No, no, it's fine. We're not going to kill him. We're going to take him back to Winterfell." Winterfell is where we're taking him. Let's go to Winterfell, she says, emphasizing Winterfell. Uh, and and Tyrion sort of considers Catelyn's strategy and thought it was quite clever how she sort of went through and, att- and got each man to sort of attest to his loyalty to the Starks before turning on Tyrion. Um, although he notices that not all of the men supported Catelyn, not many of the Freys supported Catelyn, so we're getting early hints of the betrayal of House Frey, uh, and uh, and Tyrion, uh, trying to make the best of his situation, is loudly sort of saying, uh, anyone here in this inn at the moment, by the way, if you go south and tell my dad Tywin Lannister that I've just been captured, I'm sure you will be handsomely rewarded. And Tyrion's like, Tywin is a tight ass, and he's not going to handsomely reward anyone who tells uh, tells them about me, but it might increase my chances of survival. Hopefully Daddy will come and save me, is what Tyrion's thinking. And Roderick, standing next to Catelyn, is looking a bit worried, as, as you would be, because he presumably had no forewarning that this whole business of arresting Tyrion was going to happen. Um... And, and yeah, uh, Roderick sort of announces to everyone, oh, and by the way, we'll trust you all to not not spread the word of what happened here, because the Starks want to keep everything under wraps, but Tyrion is sort of giggling to himself how ridiculous it is for this primo-quality gossip to not spread like wildfire. Um, so Tyrion's feeling pretty confident that people will find out that, yep, Tyrion has been captured by Catelyn, and they're heading up to Winterfell. Um... And yeah, they talk some more about the phrase and how the oh, Lord of Alder Frey is a cautious man, and he always he always makes certain he's backing the winning side. So we're definitely planting the seeds here for a future Frey betrayal. Uh, and uh, Catelyn sort of recruits a bunch of the randoms in the inn to say, "Hey, you know, come and help us uh, guard this party." Taking Tyrion, you'll, you'll how Stark will be grateful to you. Uh, 
and uh, and Tyrion studies their faces and thinks, yes, I will make sure they're rewarded harshly for fucking betraying me and making my life hard. Tyrion is quite uh, vengeful in this in this chapter. He definitely has an impulse to hurt the people who hurt him, even when you know, they're just sort of doing their jobs. Like, it's not these random dudes' fault that they've been commanded by their lord to help arrest Tyrion, but Tyrion seems to think that's reason to punish them. Um, and and so Catelyn's going again, yep, all right, let's go to Winterfell. Um, and then we sort of return from the flashback, we're in the present, and so they're riding along the road. And, and Tyrion is hooded, uh, by the way. He's, he's been hooded uh, for a couple of days of riding, and he's complaining about how uncomfortable this is. It's mentioned that for a while it rains, and the rain soaks through the cloth into the hood and makes it cling to his face until even breathing is a struggle. Which, which is waterboarding, isn't it? Isn't, isn't that how waterboarding works? Uh, so Tyrion's not only being uh, held against his will, he's being um, enhanced interrogation de- so that's oh, and Marillion is here, the wretched singer. So Tyrion feels an especial amount of bitterness towards Marillion because Marillion was sort of the guy who drew attention to Tyrion in the inn in the first place, which is how uh, Tyrion got. Um, oh, other way around is how Catelyn. Yeah, that really wasn't Marillion's fault at all, was it? So Tyrion's being quite unfair in his rudeness towards Marillion. Uh. Anyway, so basically, they take the hood off Tyrion, and then Tyrion looks around and he's like, hold on, fucking what? This isn't the King's Road to Winterfell, this is the High Road to the Eyrie in the Vale. So what we learn here is that Catelyn pulled a, pulled a fucking Trixie douche. She told everyone, loudly and often, that she was going to take Tyrion to Winterfell, but she's actually gone to the Vale. Uh, and the reason why she did this was to throw any pursuers off their trail. Uh, when Tywin hears about this, when the Lannisters hear about this, they'll send men screaming after to get Tyrion back, but they're going to be going the wrong way to Winterfell. Catelyn's actually going towards the Vale. And so Tyrion thinks about how that's quite cunning of her, and it is. Like, people sometimes say Catelyn's dumb, and she's not dumb. She's clearly able to pull off strategically's like that. Uh, of course, the original decision to capture Tyrion in the first place was not a great one, uh, but she's certainly able to pull off some fucking, some fucking intrigues when when the moment comes. Probably better at it than Eddard is. Like we don't really see any evidence of Eddard pulling off a, a play like this, some kind of strategical ta- tacticalies. We never really see that from Ned, uh, but Catelyn is clearly capable of doing some stuff like that. Uh, though she's certainly not on the level of, you know, Tyrion and the Lannisters and the King's Landingers, and certainly not of Varys and Illyrio and the other master players, and indeed of Littlefinger, who's the person who Catelyn is being played by. There's def- there's a sort of, like, hierarchy of players in Game of Thrones. Um, like, you know, there's people like, you know, Tywin and the Lannisters who sort of think they know what's going on, but above them there are people like... Littlefinger and Varys, who were sort of playing them in turn. It's like it's like puppetry, except the puppeteers are the puppets of higher puppeteers, uh, and which would be complicated. The strings would get tangled up, wouldn't they? 
And 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 what if the what if the the top ultimate like the top puppeteer is actually being controlled by the bottom puppeteer? So it's a circle Ouroboros of puppeteers. How's yeah right? So um. So Tyrion is angry and resentful that he's been outsmarted by Catelyn Stark. Tyrion thinks about Tyrion prides himself on his cunning, uh, because it's one of the it's the only gift that the gods have given him. Uh, Tyrion's not a good fighter, so he doesn't mind losing at fighting, and he's not very handsome, so he doesn't mind when he comes second place in a beauty contest to collect ten dollars. But Tyrion does consider himself to be a clever man, so he gets upset when he gets outsmarted, because we only care about the things that form part of our personal identities. We put all these little traits and skills and arenas in our little box of me, and anything outside that we tend not to give a shit about. No one cares if they get beaten at water polo or Simpsons trivia unless they are water polo players or Simpson trivia rights. When it's part of your identity, you want to defend it. When it's part of anything else, you don't give a shit. Which is why it's so... Nah, anyway. So, basically, they're going along the road towards the Vale. And Tyrion mentions some of the dangers of this particular road. There are shadow cats about, those sort of panther-like creatures. And there are the mountain clans of the Vale, savage barbarians and bandits who attack people with reckless abandon. Bandits who abandon with reckless... Yeah, right. Uh, and <laughs> I'm trying to cut myself off when, yeah, alright, so, uh, <laughs> um, uh, so they talk about House Aaron, Tyrion's like, oh, so, so, uh, House Aaron is now ruled by Lady Lysa Aaron on the behalf of, uh, Robert Aaron, or Sweet Robin Aaron, uh, and... Of course, Lysa Arryn, while John Arryn was, was Hand of the King, lived in King's Landing. So Tyrion is familiar with Lysa Arryn. We don't know much about what their relationship was, but Tyrion thinks that he's not fond to be reacquainted with Lysa. He is not a fan of Lysa, as many people who actually knew Lysa are not fans. Uh, so they're travelling, and Jick and Morik are there, and Marillion's there. There are also a bunch of other random sort of tertiary characters, a bloke called... Mohor and a pig-headed bloke called Kaleket. Kaleket? There are some weird names. I think this early in the story, George Martin was still sort of working out what his sort of uh, style of naming characters was, the sort of language used to give characters names, because there is a huge variety uh, in the sorts of names that are given to characters in Game of Thrones. Like, there's, like, you know, there's lots of Roberts walking about and Johns and things. Lots of his names are just variations on sort of standard English white boy names or whatever, but there are also these fucking weird ones like Kaleket. And it's not like he's from, like, Essos or somewhere exotic. He's just a fucking Westerosi bloke, but, yeah, anyway. So, um... So Tyrion's being sort of mistreated by some of these tertiary characters who are being sort of unpleasant, and Tyrion is making a special effort to remember their names so he can thank them later for their tender treatment. A Lannister always pays his debts. So Tyrion, you know, despite his whole sort of alienation from House Lannister, he's very much internalised a lot of the House Lannister values of pride and cruelty towards your enemies. Um... Which is interesting. T- T- Tyrion Lannister may hate his fellow Lannisters, but he is, in many ways, deep down, 
a Lannister. Even if we hate who we are, we are who we are, inescapably. Uh, and yeah, Tyrion's also, yeah, Laris and Mohor. Laris, L-H-A-R-Y-S. What the fuck sort of name is that? Laris. Maybe that's from Essos. I don't know. Uh, and yeah, Marillion is there as well, trying to, trying to make a rhyme about, about the imp's capture. Marillion thinks he's on a great adventure, and he's about to find out that adventures are not as fun as he thought they were. Um... And Tyrion's basically arguing, hey, can we, like, slow down, please, Catelyn? Can we take a rest? Can we just take a chill pill for a moment? Like, restore our HP, get a good night's sleep? Can we... let's do that. And Catelyn's like, I want to keep going, but, like, their horses are dying. Like, they are pushing too hard, it seems. Um, And Tyrion argues that, look, we're not... we're probably not going to be followed anyway because of your trick with the Winterfell thing. And also... My father doesn't fucking love me anyway, so who gives a shit? He probably won't even send guys after me. And then Tyrion thinks internally, well, it's true that my Tyrion, uh, that my father doesn't love me, but uh, he is also very protective of the Lannister brand, of the Lannister IP, and he'll send his his paralegals after us to capture Tyrion and defend him from this uh, from this uh, misuse of the Lannister brand. The honour of the house is what Tywin wants to defend. Uh, and, he, and Tyrion's also like, and by the way, like I'm a fragile little little dwarf man. Uh, you don't want to wear me out too much or I'll fucking, I'll fucking die. Uh, and if I die, what's the point of capturing me and arresting me and trying to bring me to justice? Um, and so then they get onto the topic of, well, did Tyrion even commit the crime to which he's accused, which is which is sending an assassin after Bran? And Tyrion's like, like, dude, for real, like, I didn't kill your son. And Catelyn's like, but you killed my son. And then Tyrion's like, but I'm not a fucking idiot, and I would have to be an idiot to send an assassin with my own personal dagger to kill Bran. If I wanted to kill Bran, I'd do it in a much more clever way, I assure you. And Catelyn's like... Uh, yeah, maybe... Oh, shit. So, for just a moment, there's a flicker of doubt in Catelyn's eyes that... Yeah, hold on a minute. Maybe Tyrion didn't send an assassin after Bran. Uh, and... And she's like, well, no, but but you must have because, because Littlefinger said it was your knife. And why would Littlefinger lie to me? And Bran says... Uh, and Tyrion says... Uh, yeah, so Catelyn's like, why would Peter lie to me? And Tyrion says, why does a bear shit in the woods? It's in their nature. Lying is just what Littlefinger fucking does. Littlefinger is a born liar. Uh, and you should know that of all people. Uh, and, and of course, Tyrion is referring to uh, the relationship of Littlefinger and Catelyn. They grew up together in, the, in, the, in River Run. Eerie in the in River Run, uh, and and Littlefinger had a big crush on Catelyn. Uh, and Tyrion mentions that Littlefinger has has bragged at court about how supposedly he uh, took Catelyn's virginity. He had sex with Catelyn when they were younger, and Catelyn's like, "Oh, that's a lie." And and that actually becomes a plot point later on. We learn that Littlefinger apparently does truly, honestly believe that he did. Uh, have sex with Catelyn when that's not actually true. The, what actually happened is that Littlefinger got really drunk and had sex with uh, with Catelyn's sister, Lysa, thinking that it was Catelyn. 
Uh, I mean, you know, these things, I mean, it's happened to all of us at least once, I'm sure. You, you have sex with someone, it turns out it was us. It, these things happen, and it happened to Littlefinger. And so it's sort of speculated that that particular confusion might actually be like a really formative, important, big part of what makes Littlefinger Littlefinger, the belief that this woman who he idealizes uh, and and who and whose unrequited love for still sort of powers his character in a lot of ways might rest on this false belief that he had sex with Galen Stark when he didn't. It was Lysa. It is a whole fascinating sort of a story with Littlefinger's formative relationships and how that's made him in the, into the twisted little little plankton boy that he is now. Need to do a Littlefinger video at some point. Uh, and Catelyn, uh, upon hearing these accusations, gets very defensive. She's like, oh, uh, you're fucking lying. Don't misconstrue Peter. Peter was, Peter loved me. And it, and, and it wasn't, it wasn't about my fucking maidenhead. It was real. It was pure. It was right. It was love. Nothing to make mock of. It was real. It was real, true love. Which is an interesting response, isn't it? Catelyn really wants to believe that, that, that Peter had a true, pure, beautiful love. Oh, Romeo and Juliet. Wherefore art thou, Catelyn? That's what, that's what Cat wants to believe. Which is interesting. It would almost suggest that part of her identity, part of her little Catelyn box that she constructs to decide who she is, is wanting to believe that she was loved by Littlefinger. Maybe that's part of her trying to feel valuable as a person. Maybe part of why she thinks she's lovable is because she was loved by Littlefinger. Maybe that's part of why she fails to see Littlefinger's true nature, because she's so adhered to the idea that she was loved by someone, by Littlefinger. Uh, There are all sorts of little formative ways that could be happening in Catelyn's head, but that's one hypothesis, because, yeah, it is kind of stunning how how completely Catelyn fails to realise that Littlefinger is a prick who's manipulating her. It's easier to believe that that Catelyn is just so great that Peter just fell, fell head over heels for her and is loyal to her to this day. That's easier to believe than believing that, you know, a teenager had a had a horny crush on you and now is manipulating you. You want to believe the version that makes you a more magnetic figure, I think. And anyway, and Tyrion's like, you're fucking wrong, dude. Peter is not this great, lovable guy. He's, he's a manipulator uh, and he's a prick. And Catelyn's like, oh, and so they're talking some more, and and Tyrion's like, look, but we can talk about like the knife. This all turns on the knife, right? So Littlefinger says that Tyrion won the knife from Littlefinger during a particular tourney, uh, when Jaime was unhorsed by Loras Tyrell, and they had made a bet on that, uh, and Tyrion had apparently lost, so that Tyrion had apparently won rather. Uh, and so the knife went to Tyrion. Uh, but the thing is, uh, Tyrion is, says, or he's about to say, that, well, I would only ever bet on Jamie. I only ever bet on the side of my family. So I actually would have lost that bet, because Loras won the fight. But before he can finish that thought, they're attacked by the mountain clansmen. Riders are incoming. The barbarians are coming down from the hills. The mountain men. Uh, and so they've got to get ready for a fight. 
so there's like a dozen horses coming, action scene, action scene, there's a dozen horses coming, there's rust hullard hair, there's milk snakes and moon brothers, the the clans of the mountain why would you name your clan the 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 milk snakes? What was it? The milk snakes. What the fuck sort of name is that? It sounds like a, a uh, an oblique dick joke or something. Mo- I mean, Moon Brothers sounds dope. I mean, that evokes like wolves and brotherhood and, and packs and milk snakes. <laughs> anyway, uh, so bad guy's coming. Um, Marillion is shit scared. Marillion has like an arc within this chapter that's not dissimilar to... Bran's, the the arc that Bran has over his entire story. Bran's arc is sort of about, I love stories and singing and adventure and scary stories. And then three books later, he's like, oh, oh shit, adventures are cold and bloody and scary stories are fucking scary. There's my childish naivety gone. Marillion kind of does that whole arc within just this chapter because Marillion starts as this naive kid is like yep I'll just follow Catelyn and Tyrion and it'll be fun and I'll write a song and it'll be great but then he he starts to realize that uh, adventures can be violent and unpleasant and dangerous is kind of what he's realizing now so people are attacking action sequence uh Tyrion's like oh you sh- there are men are coming so you should arm me and my mates because we don't have enough blokes for this fight Catelyn you got to trust me you got to give me let me have my swords and my and my and my fight fights it's going to be great we'll be on your side you can trust me I'm not going to turn on you afterwards uh, and Catelyn's like yeah, fucking fine so Tyrion is very cleverly leveraging the situation as a way to empower himself and his side. He's making the most of this situation. Tyrion is great at exploiting even moments that are bad for his own personal gain. Clever bloke. Clever little imp. Um, and Bronn, so Bronn gets armed and all the blokes are getting ready to fight shit. Uh, and Tyrion's getting ready to fight, uh, which is slightly absurd. He's got this axe and Bronn's like, ooh, just pretend you're splitting logs. Um, and, and, but Tyrion's like, but logs don't bleed. Um, and logs also don't fight back, which I feel is the is sort of the pertinent fact here. But anyway, so they're getting ready to fight, uh, and yeah, Tyrion looks at Marillion and he's like, "Oh, what? Lost your taste for adventure? It's Bran's arc." Uh, and and then the mountain men are coming, and they've all got half helms and boiled leather and mismatched armor and scythes and lances and long claws. They're sort of this whole sort of ragtag, poorly armed because they're random barbarians who steal all their shit. So they've got this like random assortment of weapons and shit. Uh, one of them's got a shadow skin cloak, uh, wearing fur. Peter would not approve. Uh, they'd throw blood on him. Uh, you know, although he's probably perfectly capable of staining himself in blood himself, because this is a barbarian war guy we're talking about. And so Sir Roderick is there, he's shouting Winterfell, and Bronn and Chigan are shouting their own battle cries as they charge into battle. Tyrion feels a sudden urge to leap up, wave his axe, and shout castily rock and run into the fray. Uh, but the insanity passes quickly. Uh, Tyrion, Tyrion feels the bubbling fucking testosterone sloshing around in him, that fucking juice in men that makes them want to kill things in service of some fucking outdated evolutionary imperative to weed out the weak. Uh, but Tyrion decides not to uh, risk his life in the name of masculine uh, bloodlust. Anyway, so the, they start fighting, and Bronn is fucking shit up, and uh, Chigan is is killing a bloke, and Sir Roderick's fighting, and Marillion has a horse land on top of him, uh, which is unfortunate. It doesn't kill him, but it, it, it knocks him up. <laughs> no, it doesn't. 
Marillion does not get knocked up by a horse. He gets knocked around, is I think what I was going for. It'd be uncomfortable if he got knocked up by a horse mid-battle. It's probably, it's almost, well, it's probably not happened, but all right, so, so Tyrion take and Tyrion once again takes advantage of the situation. So the mountain clansman falls off the horse that fell off Marillion, and Tyrion kills the clansman with an axe, uh, which is like, all right, whatever. Uh, although Tyrion does does uh, 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 show some su- surprising, implausible agility, I would say. They describe Tyrion dancing in with the axe and moving in a way that seems. Um, not entirely plausible for a man whose legs ache when he walks too much. And keep in mind that Tyrion has just spent days and days and days uh, uncomfortably riding and not eating enough. And like, as we'll see in this chapter, Tyrion fights better than seems reasonable. But anyway, uh, so Marillion is complaining about the fact that a horse is on top of him, which is probably a pretty reasonable reason to explain, uh, complain, I would say. Uh, and and while Marillion is trapped onto the horse, Tyrion comes along and stomps onto Marillion's fingers uh, and feels a satisfying crunch. Which is an interesting thing to do. Uh, it seems as though Tyrion is just hurting Marillion for the sake of hurting Marillion because he doesn't like him for his role in Tyrion's arrest. Which seems quite a cruel thing for Tyrion to do. I'd say it's not entirely clear why he behaves like this. Um, Tyrion does seem to be in a pretty vengeful, cruel sort of a mood at the moment, which I suppose you might be if you'd spent days being, you know, unrightfully arrested and, and, you know, sitting uncomfortably when you're used to luxury and whatever, but, yeah, Tyrion's acting unreasonably, I would say. Anyway, uh, fighting happens, Bronn is dual-wielding swords, uh, and Tyrion is involving himself in the fight. Tyrion is is darting about and hewing at the legs of passing horses, and Tyrion gets uh, gets into the fight. Um, and then Catelyn, Catelyn Stark is, is cornered by three mountain clansmen, and for a moment Tyrion's like, ah, eh, fuck her, just let her be killed. But then he decides, mm, no, I'll help her. So Tyrion runs up to the three, ma- <laughs> to the three mountain men, attacks one of them, kills one of the mountain men with his axe, ducks under the sword of another one, and then Catelyn steps up and rips open the ca- the guy's throat with her knife, and then the third guy runs away. Which, you know, maybe that's quote-unquote badass and all, but I do find it a little hard to swallow that the woman with the recently injured scarred hands and a knife and Tyrion, the, the graceless, short totally not a warrior dwarf managed to defeat three angry mountain clansmen who like fight as like their thing that doesn't seem very realistic to me to be honest but what the fuck ever um so that happens and then the fight's over uh, and there were dying horses and wounded men lying screaming all over the place which they always omit from the movies and the video games Especially, it is not quite right the way people go to zero HP and then just sort of drop gracefully to the ground like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Violence entails suffering, and it's probably not good that popular depictions of violence don't show it. But who am I to moralize? Um, 
So the battles happened, and Braun asks Tyrion, "Yo, was that your first your first battle? How was that, mate? How was that, Cobber?" Uh, and Tyrion's like, "Yeah, no, that was my first fight." Uh, and Braun's like, "Well, after your first fight, you should you should have a woman." And of course, having a woman entails uh, having sex with a woman because what other what other thing could a man do with a woman in this society? Sex is yeah. Uh, and then Tyrion looks at Catelyn. And he's like, "Oh." Well, I'm down if she's down. So he makes a little joke that as if he would have sex with Catelyn, uh, and then ev- and then all the sort of sell swords and the and the blokes around all laugh at Catelyn's expense. Uh, well, well, arguably at Tyrion's expense. But the point is that they make a joke, and uh, Tyrion and Tyrion grins and thinks there's a start. So again, Tyrion is cleverly exploiting the situation. Tyrion is starting to turn the men towards his side. Uh, in this situation. He's trying to sort of win over some of the swordsmen, and we see that that comes very much to his advantage later on when Bronn defends him in the Eyrie, but we're not there yet. Eyrie? 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 And so the battles happened, and they sort of look over the clansmen that are dead, and their weapons are sort of shit, uh, just sort of randomly, random grab bag of, of, of salvaged weapons, whatever, uh, and a bunch of their blokes have died. Kalukat and Mohor have died, and Jick, Tyrion's man, Jick died. R.I.P. Jick. We hardly, hardly knew ye. Um, and and they're all like, and some of the men are like, look, we gotta, we gotta just keep on going right now because there's probably more clansmen coming. And then Catelyn's like, no, no, we should stay and we should bury the dead. That's not, that's the right thing to do. But you know, even Roderick and the other guys are like, no, nah, for real, like, and Bronn and stuff. They're like, no, we got, we just gotta keep moving. Uh, we, we can't stay here and look after the dead men, or we'll fucking become dead men, so let's make like a tree and get the fuck out of here. Uh, uh, and, and so Catelyn's like, uh, okay, fine, let's keep moving. And so that, again, is another sort of subtle undermine of Catelyn's authority. Catelyn is lo- is starting to lose control of this situation and this party. And Tyrion is gaining control. He is now armed. He and his men are armed when they weren't before, and Tyrion is no longer bound and hooded. And now a lot of the a lot of the blokes are feeling more friendly towards Tyrion because he's sort of making jokes. He's one of the dudes. He, you know, he was fighting in the fight with them. So, so the the power dynamics in this group are shifting because Tyrion has cleverly exploited the situation. It, I, I really like how George Martin sort of writes these situations. It really does feel like there are sort of some some complex things going on in terms of the the sort of social balance of power and the politics and the who knows what. It's really, I think, well constructed. Um, and that's sort of it, really. Uh, yeah, so they sort of leave and they head off and uh, there are shadow cats growling behind them so they're sort of heading off quickly as they can. Uh, and the chapter ends with Tyrion saying to Catelyn, like, yeah, for real, uh, here's the truth, man. Uh, I that wasn't my knife. I didn't kill your son because I wouldn't have bet for Loras Tyrell against Jamie Lannister because I I I never bet against my family. And that's how the chapter ends. So the chapter was a bunch of things. It, I mean, there's lots of interesting, cool sort of plot things going on. Uh, but I guess in some ways, it's also an exploration of Tyrion's character. Because as we've sort of already learned in previous chapters, Tyrion is very much an outsider and an alien, and his dad hates him, and so does his sister, and he feels like he's not wholly accepted as a Lannister. 
And yet, Tyrion has all these Lannister characteristics. He wants to make the people who oppose him suffer. He's going to step on Marillion's hands. He's got this pride and he's got this desire and feeling of entitlement and luxury uh, and arrogance to him. Not as much as Cersei and Jaime, but there's a definite arrogance to Tyrion. So it is interesting that, yeah, even though he, he, he feels disconnected from his family, he also feels loyalty to his family. He never bets against his family. But of course, the real important plot stuff right now is Tyrion being taken to the Eyrie, where he will answer for his crimes, alleged crimes, in trying to get Bran killed. Uh, while Catelyn starts to slowly realise the magnitude of her own blunder in not only arresting an innocent man, but arresting the son of the most angry and powerful lord in Westeros, Tywin Lannister. Which is how this whole fucking war in the Games of the Thrones begins. So that was a mistake of some magnitude. Thank you for listening to this episode of Game of Thrones Abridged on Alt Swift X. I noticed that we recently reached 10,000 subscribers on the Alt Swift X YouTube channel, so I'd like to thank you all for that. I did not think uh, that when I started this channel, uh, that many subscribers would find their way here and listen. I didn't think uh, very much at all, honestly, when I started this particular series. Uh, but yeah, it's happened. I'm really glad that so many of you are enjoying this. I, I mean to continue this to the end of book one, at least. Uh, also thinking about other sort of things that this this series could transform into. We'll just sort of see how it goes. But thank you again. Uh, uh, thank you to, to Hairless Oyster for his deranged summaries and, and Kata for her baking advice and for every, everyone else in the comment section. Uh, have a lovely day. Cheers. <laughs>